this technology used in our transit system will soon be used, I predict, by all our transit riders. The next stop. The next stop. The next stop. Metro's podcast. Do you remember the first time you took public transit on your own? My first time involved a paper map clutched tightly in one hand and crossed fingers on the other, hoping I was getting on and off the bus and trains at the right spots. I wished I'd had a guide. Thanks to an ambitious application update to the Metro Trip app, that is exactly what Metro riders now have at their fingertips. The app is now enhanced with something called My Stop Technology. I'm Laura Whitley, and this edition of the Next Stop, Metro's podcast, I have two guests with me who are going to help us understand how it all works and why the utilization of this technology is truly groundbreaking. Let me introduce Metro board member, Dr. Lex Frieden, and Randy Frazier, Metro's chief technology officer. Gentlemen, thank you for being with us today in the Next Stop. Thank you for having us. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you, Laura. Dr. Frieden, I'd like to begin with you. This all started with a vision to make the system more accessible. Yeah, originally we were concerned about the uh, uh, usability of the system by people, uh, particularly in this respect, who had sensory impairments, blindness, and and vision impairments. Um, People have difficulty if you can't see the bus stop knowing where it is. They have difficulty if you can't see exactly where the... uh, transit center sidewalks are knowing how to navigate in a transit center. It's obvious that uh, if if you have difficulty seeing, uh, our system is built uh, naturally to be able to use that sense. But if you can't use it, uh, you need to have some guidance. And it occurred to us that uh, this technology might enable uh, users, transit users who had visual impairments to be more independent and to find the system more useful and uh, accessible. Particularly if one is out moving around a city, there's um, there's so much going on and there are very few clues uh, to help um, somebody who uh, maybe d- does can't see where where to where to go and where to stop to to wait to get on the bus or train that's absolutely true now i must say that most of my uh, visually impaired friends have educated themselves about where things are in the city so they have a general knowledge uh, they have what i would consider to be a map in their heads about uh, where things are but the issue becomes when you get near something and you're not sure where the door is or where the step is or where the, in this case, the bus is, where the rail car is, um, then it gets to be uh, a challenge that's almost impossible to overcome by the individual without some assistance. And I imagine particularly if you're going somewhere you're not familiar with, to a new location or stop. I mean, it's no different than you or me going someplace that we don't know where it is. I mean, I've been lost in downtown Houston, and I have uh, 20-20 vision. So it's not always entirely about what you can see, what you can hear, what you can sense. It's it's sometimes about the complexity of the environment in which we live. And uh, that actually occurred to us in the process of developing this demonstration, originally obviously intended to help uh, blind people, but now we realize that it's... Uh, an aid to all of us. It's a navigation aid 
for the whole community, not just people with disabilities. Let's go back to the early stage of this project, Randy. I understand uh, there was a Google grant involved. Yes, uh, Google put out a national grant uh, looking for different ways to use um, their technology and Bluetooth beacon technology to assist people with disabilities. And so we had just gotten done with the, the um, new bus network. And as a side effect of the new bus network, a lot of the signs were going to have to be changed. And so we came up with the idea of making a, a smart bus stop using Bluetooth beacons. Um, it would have to be something that's smart, but also something that's cost effective because you could use, say, Wi-Fi, but that'd be very expensive and there's power and everything like that. So we wanted something that was cheap. These beacons are only a little bit over $20 a piece. And when you multiply that um, by 9,000, the number gets large, but not nearly as large as if you put a piece of $500 equipment on the bus stop. So we wanted something that we could really scale over the entire city, that we can install quickly, and that would, again, make the bus stop smarter. And when we're talking about scaling through the entire city or the entire system, how many stops are we talking about where uh, this technology has been installed? We have just over um, 9,000 bus stops currently active in our in our system, but we've also deployed beacons um, for the rail platforms and we've dis- uh, deployed them for the bus bays. So we will end up with um, around 9,200, 9,300 beacons um, covering our entire service area. And some serious coverage. I described this technology as a personal guide uh, in the introduction, and that's really what it does, correct? Yes. um, We're the the first transit agency to embed this directly into our current trip planning application, which is uh, MetroTrip. So you can use that as before, but now you can plan a trip. You'll be able to track yourself on the screen, and if you turn on um, um, the vibrations, especially if you have some sort of visual disability, not only can you track yourself, but then you'll get a notification when you get there that you are in the correct place. Um, just as Dr. Frieden said, I've been to different cities, and if the trip plan says to go to the corner of May and 5th Street, that's great, unless there's four stops there. And I've been at the wrong stop. Uh, I've watched my bus go by across the street being at the wrong stop. With something like this, you can get a notification that you're at the correct stop. As Dr. Frieden, as you were saying, this is really, as you found uh, during the development and then um, testing of this, this technology is really for everyone. It is. You know, I like to say this is really innovation. Um, To put together mixed-use technology, to find technology uh, and and mold it together uh, to make it user-friendly, customer-friendly, uh, people-friendly, requires a bit of genius, quite frankly. And, and here we have uh, a technology-oriented transit system. We have state-of-the-art rail. We have uh, uh, park and ride. We have buses. We have Metrolift paratransit vehicles. We have an array of different kind of services that are already tied together uh, through technology. Uh, People who are users of the system, many of them have been accustomed to using their smartphone, their trip app, to plan their trips, to find out when different vehicles would be arriving and departing from our stops, and and to guide them uh, to the extent they can see on the, the maps, the Google Maps that show up on the phone. 
Uh, but here now, we've not only taken that technology, but we put it together with the, the Bluetooth technology that Randy described and, and managed to mold those together, those technologies, in a way that nobody else has ever done on the scale that we are doing in our city. And Dr. Frieden, I know you have been on the forefront for several decades now in terms of um, opening doors and advocating for um, a, a access for people of all abilities. Um, it, the fact that an innovation initially conceived to improve accessibility for a specific community of people, it actually enhances the experience for all customers is something you've really seen before. Oh, that's not unusual. That what happens often is you have invention. Uh, invention was intended by the creators to serve a specific need. But as the invention becomes uh, known, other people find ways to use that uh, product. I'll give you a good example. It's my understanding that Velcro was uh, invented by NASA to enable astronauts in space in a weightless environment to attach things to the wall so they weren't floating around hitting them in the head. Uh, somebody in Canada, another inventor, figured out they could use this product in shoes, as in, in, in place of shoestrings, and, and that people who were not able to easily tie their shoestrings because they might have an impairment or they were kids that had learning difficulties or whomever, they could now close their shoes and, and use them. And and then people in the general population saw these cool shoes and they started adapting them. Nike has them, Adidas has them, everybody's got Velcro closures on their shoes now. So, you know, that's just one example of how technology for a single purpose has been become universal. The ramps are a more obvious example, perhaps. When we first put ramps on the curb cuts, we were doing that with the idea people in wheelchairs would have better access to the community. But what we found in, in, in the streets are that people who are carrying clothing from one store to the next on a rack can roll the racks up and down the sidewalks and through the streets. People who are pushing baby carriages can get around at skateboarders, bicyclers. It, the ramp becomes a universal access tool that everyone uses and eventually they think it's a part of our environment which it should have been in the beginning uh, but we didn't have the foresight early on to do so now we've sort of adopted that and I think there's a lot of technology a lot of accommodations that probably seem foreign to people now because they don't understand why it was there or how it was developed or the purpose originally but uh, the community will adopt that this technology used in our transit system will soon be used, I predict, by all our transit riders. They'll use it to easily find out what stop they're coming to. They won't have to look up from their work in their laptop or the book they're reading. The, the phone will vibrate in their hand when they're getting close to their stop. They don't have to be totally vigilant all the time in order not to miss their stop. Uh, it'll be expanded beyond the transit system. We're already seeing examples of where some restaurants near the transit stops have figured out, well, if, if people are going to be guided to the transit stop, 
by the Bluetooth, we can put in one of these Bluetooth uh, transmitters and provide information to the patrons who are coming near our restaurant about how to get here and guide people to the restaurant. So it, you know, the implications of what we're doing here in Houston really are profound as it relates to navigating the environment for people. Uh, Randy, now let's get into the, some of the nuts and bolts of this program. Uh, the backbone of it relies on Bluetooth technology and a sophisticated upgrade to the Metro Trip app. Yes, we, we literally invented um, three new files uh, that, that our app uses to blend the, the app's data, the GPS data, and the Bluetooth data all together so that they work. And that was, you know, uh, one of the the big things that we had to do to make this work. So you're getting into some of the technical pieces just a little bit there, not to go too far, but so how does it work? You have the th- you have the three different data packets you were talking about, and then there's a Bluetooth de- beacon device? There's information on the stop location, there's GPS information in there, and there's information on um, uh, the code for the beacons themselves. And you plan a trip just like you regularly did, but now the app knows along your trip, okay, these are the beacons that I need to be looking for. And so then as you approach the stop, it's looking for the correct beacon and only that beacon because what's going to happen is your phone is going to see Bluetooth signals everywhere. Everything for for Bluetooth, it doesn't have to connect. It will just see it. What we want um, our app to do is to only look for, number one, our beacons, for Metro's beacons, and number two, more importantly for the user, to look for the beacon where they want to go. So your phone, you, you plan your trip, you're looking for your first stop, the, the phone knows exactly which beacon to look for, and then as you get close to that stop, it will um, uh, pulse and then alert properly. So how can riders get it? If your phone is set to auto-update, then you'll just have to actually activate the update. If your phone is not set for auto-update, then you'll navigate to Metro Trip, manually pull the update, and then you'll, you'll, you'll get the app. They have to have, uh, the riders need to have the Metro Trip app on their phone. So number one, make sure you have the Metro Trip app. Yes, if you're a new rider and then you can download Metro Trip brand new, it will it will be that version and then it, it will automatically. And that's from whatever app store you use on yes, your. We're, yes, we're, we're in the, the two biggest ones. We're in the Apple App Store and in the Google Play Got it. Store. The same place where you can find the podcast. Well, except for the podcast, just. A little plug there for the next stop. Um, Randy, can you describe the beacons, what they look like? I think some um, riders may have noticed them but not know what they were. What do they look like? Yes, over the past half year, people have probably been seeing them, not knowing what they are. Um, they're not a camera. Um, it's If you look at um, the bus pole, right near the very top of the pole is a triangular plastic white little, little pyramid uh, affixed right at the top. Um, it's sealed. It has no user serviceable parts. Um, and, and like I said, it's, it's sophisticated yet not. It's got one purpose in life, and that is just to broadcast our codes. Dr. Frieden, I know you had the opportunity to share with colleagues at a national conference about this program. Can you tell me about some of the feedback you received? Generally speaking, people were just fascinated. Uh, fascinated by this uh, 
use of technology that they had not heard about before. And immediately they began to think of all the implications for not only their mobility, but their lives, how this might enhance their lives altogether. And that's, that's a point I want to make. This is a dynamic uh, innovation. So to the extent that people in our community begin to use the app, begin to benefit from the network, we will predictably have suggestions that we can incorporate into the network and improve uh, the app and the system and the ability for people to get even more information than they might now. They're, they're, I mean, you can imagine some of the uh, uh, some of the interactions that you might have with using this uh, technology as an app. You may be able to find out whether it's raining at one stop on one side of town and 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 clear on the other side of town. You might be able to tell uh, the you know the difference in the weather from one stop to the next. You may be able to to know uh, what the traffic is like uh, on the sidewalk. There's so many possible uh, uses of this. You, we've already seen a few innovative efforts, and, and Google, quite frankly, has sponsored some of them inside uh, uh, shopping centers where the Bluetooth technology is available there, and blind people are using that to uh, uh, aid with navigation. But in those examples, I'm not aware that they have expanded them for use by the general public, which it seems to me would make a lot of sense. So you're, you're going to see uh, further development along this uh, uh, technology line. One thing that I think is important to know, and that is particularly for blind users who may be using this or visually impaired people, this does not protect someone from the need to be vigilant about their safety. So if, if, if a person, I don't want people to become too dependent on this technology. If someone uses the app to find their way to a street corner, and then they may be able to determine uh, from the app across the street or from the transmitter across the street where the crosswalk is, it's not going to tell them whether that crosswalk is clear. It's not going to tell them it's safe to get into the traffic. It won't do that, and people shouldn't expect it to do that. It has to be integrated with other technology that may be available, including crosswalk guidance and, and uh, uh, audio uh, uh, reception and so on and so forth. So uh, that, that's just one caveat. I, I think it's important to make. And you also brought up an interesting point, and that probably answers my next question, but I'll pose it to you anyway, Randy. Any other tra transit agency in the country or world, for this matter, doing anything close Actually, to this? Actually, a few years ago, we first kind of uh, gave a paper at at uh, presentation at APTA on this, and I think a lot of other people, just Dr. Freer says, that, oh, that sounds like a that sounds like good a good idea. So right now, um, Austin is uh, doing the same thing, but it's it's just a pilot. They literally only have it on, on a few stops. MBTA is doing a pilot, but I think they only have it on, on two or three stops. WMATA was thinking about, about doing it. Um, there are quite a few other transit agencies, especially some of the larger ones that are kind of getting into this space. Um, but since we kind of thought of this a few years ago, ours is much more mature. In terms of the level of... of installment and deployment of the beacons and using it, you, you, know, you said somewhere in the neighborhood of, of 9,200, that's much larger. That's the largest uh, installation that, that you know of. 
that's the largest in the world. I mean, it, it, you look around other major cities, Paris, London, uh, uh, wherever you might, Rio de Janeiro, Sydney, they have explored some of these technologies, but nobody has ever laid it out on the scale that we're doing. Randy, can we talk a little bit more about that testing process? Because um, it's it's not as though this was created and you just putting it out there. This has been a months-long, over a year-long process. And, and through the way, you've had a, a group of, of uh, pilot uh, testers that have, that have helped provide feedback. Yes, well, actually, it's even greater than months long. That would say years long. So when we first did the pilot, uh, we had our community testers. Um, come in first we, we literally sat down with them asked you know what what features what would you want it to do then we um, made from scratch a proof of concept app mobile app that it's it's separate app that's only purpose was to test this out um, we brought the testers back in kind of um, tweaked it a little bit and then once we had proved the concept um, you know we went to the board um, went to our CEO, we got permission to expand, and then most importantly, we got permission to integrate it into our, our, our main trip plan application. Um, you know, Dr. Frieden spoke about safety. One of the key safety things that we did was originally we had this uh, where you would wear headphones and, and it would you know, be audible. But one of the key feedback that we got from our testers was, hey, you know, if you're, you're waiting at a bus stop and the bus is right there, um, you can't hear that as well. And more importantly, um, a lot of especially uh, visually impaired uh, um, riders want to be able to hear their environment. So that's why we're doing the vibration so that they can actually keep that situation awareness around them and not lose that, that sense that they so often use. So we did testing right up until just a couple months ago with our community testers and then entirely through um, both me personally and staff here at um, Metro, we've been testing it constantly. And I think it's interesting how you point out that some of the adjustments and changes that you made were of the result of the feedback that was received. Directly. Um, some of the placement of items um, in the app, some of the, um, when you use the app and you're visually impaired, you turn on accessibility settings. There are literally invisible things that the um, people use in the accessibility mode that sighted people don't. And so there's all sorts of stuff that other people might not see, but there are major changes under the hood that we have optimized uh, specifically at their direction and to help help them. And it's now fully functional and available. Yes, that will be there and then we'll improve upon it immediately. And then the plan is to um, get uh, feedback from the public with it out. And of course, we'll um, make any fixes that, that might come up and, and start making improvements from suggestions. Dr. Frieden, I know that you have been a part of uh, so many uh, groundbreaking and, and trailblazing uh, activities. I, I sense a lot of excitement as you discuss this innovation. Uh, can you tell me about uh, just how, how you experience it? Yeah, I mean, I'm excited about it, not only from the standpoint of the benefits to the public and, and people with disabilities, but I, the geek inside me really gets uh, uh, warmed up when I think about what we're able to do here. That Houston Metro uh, aims to be, strives to be, works to be uh, the most advanced customer service oriented, safe and reliable system in the country. And 
And to do that, I think we have to stay a step ahead. Uh, we have to always be thinking about new things we can do to improve the, the safety, reliability, and, and the usability of the system. And this is a good example of how we're doing that. So yeah, all of those things together get, get me really excited. We definitely uh, hear it in your voice and appreciate it. Well, I already have it updated on my phone, and I know it's something that listeners that use our system will want to download as well. Metro board member Dr. Lex Frieden, Metro Chief Technology Officer Randy Frazier. Gentlemen, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Thank you. I'm Laura Whitley. That's all for this edition of The Next Stop. You can check out more episodes at ridemetro.org or subscribe on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or Google Play and never miss an episode. And if you could please do me a favor and give us a review or rating at Apple Podcasts, it'll help us out a lot. Until next time, drive less, do more with Metro.